Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. We're in 2 Timothy, and we're getting close to the end of this kind of short, punchy letter from the Apostle Paul to young Timothy, who maybe knew him best, a young pastor that Paul referred to as his son. And uh, if anybody tells me that the Bible isn't relevant for our time, or, or maybe doesn't speak to issues that we face in our time, I'm just going to be like, hey, have you read 2 Timothy? Because I don't know about you guys, we've gone through this little letter. It seems like Paul is pretty aware of how things would be in our time. And it seems like he speaks directly to it. And today I want to look at, I want to pick up right where we left off. Um, so we finished chapter three and we're going to start in chapter four if you want to turn there this morning. Now, Paul had been telling Timothy that in this time, which we occupy, the time between the resurrection and ascension of Jesus and his return, things aren't just going to get steadily better. You know, things aren't just going to go from, from good to great to peachy, and everybody's just going to be happy and get along and sing kumbaya. That's, that's not what we see in our world, is it? He told Timothy, you know what, we need to be on our guard, not being defensive and you know, circling the wagons, keeping the world out, but we need to be on our guard and even steer clear of people who want to follow these ways of the world, of just indulging every feeling, every desire that we have naturally. You know, because we live in a culture that's obsessed with the self. That's what we looked at last week, and we're going to dive straight into this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. We're going to stop at 5. Paul continues with Timothy, and he says this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared. In season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, I mean, but you, word of grace, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. We're going to step through this passage for a few minutes this morning, but let's pray together first. Jesus, thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that it really does instruct us. We thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it helps us distill down, like, what am I feeling? What do I need to do in my life? Thank you that your word is effective for so many things for us. And, and we just come to you today and say, Jesus, we belong to you. Come teach us. Come shape us. Deposit something in our hearts this morning that goes a long way beyond this morning. And we'll give you glory. We want to live for you. Teach us how. Show us how. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, like last week, you know, Paul, he gets right to the point again here with Timothy about things that don't really change in the human heart. Things that don't really change. Now, I want to start in the middle of this passage with kind of what's going wrong. What does Paul put his finger on with people um, that honestly was a problem then, is a problem now, is a problem persistently for humanity? So he says this. He says, in the season ahead... And that, that view of the season ahead, it's not just like someday, the end times, whatever. It's like 
any time between the resurrection of Jesus and ascension of Jesus and the return of Jesus. In this time, Paul says, you know, sound doctrine, sound teaching. It won't just be kind of like sidelined. It won't even be just like, you know, thrown out and like whatever, tolerated. It's not going to be permitted. People will want nothing to do with sound doctrine, he said. What does he mean by sound doctrine? Well, the word here for sound literally means whole or healthy or uncorrupted. Uncorrupted. The reality is this. As human beings, our natural tendency is always to just have our eyes towards whatever the new, bright, shiny teaching going on is, isn't it? Whatever's that new wave of teaching coming through, interpretations of things in the word that that actually suit me and my desires, that aren't dictated by what God wants so much as what I'm comfortable with. You know, we have a wiring of this in our hearts as human beings. Last week, as we were looking at chapter 3, Paul went straight at some people who would teach these kind of things, spread teachings that are corrupted, as he said. In reality, 2,000 years of church history that we can look back on, if we're honest today, they've shown us that there's many times in church history where the message of the church has been corrupted by getting into bed with all kinds of things that have nothing to do with the message of Jesus. Corrupted and compromised, and in particular with issues related to human power dynamics. Power, what do we say about power? Power corrupts, right? And absolute power corrupts absolutely. Power corrupts, and you know, 2,000 years of church history, we've seen that there's something even within us as God's people that wants to go after these other teachings that maybe are more comfortable for us. But as followers of Jesus, we don't compromise on God's word. We don't compromise on sound teaching. We don't seek human power. We don't want to use this to gain something. We lean on one power alone. It's his power. Amen? We lean on his power alone. We want what he says is best for us, not what I feel is best for me. We want what he says is healthy and sound and whole. But Paul's warning Timothy here, and we see it in our world, in the great shopping mall of our world of ideologies and systems of belief that Paul warns people are not going to want this uncorrupted, pure gospel, sound teaching from God. They're not going to look for the truth. So what does he say they will want? What does he say that we are going to go for sometimes? He says this, driven by their desires, they will gather around themselves great numbers of teachers. Just stop there for a second. Once again, this is really, really relevant in our time. You know, people can scoop up for themselves great numbers of teachers. For the first time in history, we have access to gurus galore on every topic at the touch of a button. Anywhere in the world. Whatever piques our interest, whatever issues we're kind of concerned about, we can have a podcast fired up in like one minute. doesn't matter who's saying it. We just listen, right? We got teachers everywhere. We've never had so much information instructing us. And let me say this, having a multitude of counselors isn't a bad thing. Like, what does Proverbs say? That there's safety in a multitude of counselors. But there's some qualifiers that we shouldn't skip over about who those teachers are that we should accept in our lives, right? Look at what Paul says. He says, these teachers, this multitude of teachers that we are wanting to scoop up around, they're not selected at random. They're not like the, the assigned teacher that we get at school or something like that. They're not even, you know, people who we want to grow necessarily into maturity and we know they've walked that road. He says this, 
we're going to gather teachers around us that say to us what our itching ears want to hear. There's a problem there, isn't there? There's nothing wrong with having good, sound teachers in your life and a multitude of them, mentors, whatever it may be, close friendships who can pour God's word into us. The problem is when the qualifying factor is what I want to hear, right? The image Paul is painting for us here is just the people walking around and scooping up more and more people who already agree with us so that we feel better about our positions instead of get challenged by anything. Push comes to shove when we hit a part of our thinking or maybe when we start to recognize that something in our behavior doesn't line up with the word of God. Push comes to shove in our lives when the word of God, that sound teaching of God's word, pushes back on us, corrects us, rebukes us, calls us to change something because we don't like change naturally, do we? So the question becomes, what do we do when that happens? What are we going to do? I mean, I know he's warning Timothy about this is how people are going to be, but first thing we have to consider is what is it when we're those people? When the word of God is saying, hey, that thing going on in your life, that you're not doing it God's way, what are you going to do about it? Are we going to submit to God's leading? Maybe even do something really bold and confess where we've been wrong? Are we going to bail on God's word, his teaching, bail on God's people to become entrenched in groups of people who will tell us, no, it's okay, you do you, you're fine. Don't let anybody tell you how to live. Do whatever makes you feel good. And it's easy in our world to become entrenched in, in tribes that center on our philosophies, our ideologies, our desires, our habits, and our outcomes that we want to see in the world. You know, we look at our world today, everything from different religious sectors, politics certainly, all of it along the way, even to just how people are in families nowadays. And we see that this tendency is alive and well that Paul's talking about, to surround ourselves with, with yes-men style teachers, friendships even. And so much so in our world that there's a popular term for it in our world. Maybe you've heard this term, echo chambers. Anybody heard this term, echo chambers? This is like a term on the rise. People talking about echo chambers is having a moment right now because it's so popular for people to, you know, lock themselves in a place, whether the people they surround themselves with or the communities they engage online, where the only thing that they hear is actually what's already coming out of their mouth. Or the only thing that they are having driven back, it's just a reinforcing what they already hold to and believe. Echo chambers. You know, in our moment, particularly with people's habits online and communities online, to be in an echo chamber means having lots of connections, lots of friends, followers, influences, whatever, all reinforcing what we already believe, what our itching ears want to hear. And you know, there are algorithms that drive this kind of thing online. There's money to be made in this. In essence, if you live in an echo chamber, there's no friction, there's no challenge, you don't have to deal with the messy stuff of other people's problems and opinions and stuff like that, but there's also no growth. There's no real relationship in an echo chamber. It's a lonely place. And in, our, in our time, if we're honest, looking at some of the hot button issues in our world, and nowadays it's even considered by many to be dangerous to have conversation with people who disagree with us. Have you noticed that? Like, just look at what's happening on college campuses. 
right? It's dangerous to even allow somebody to open their mouth and disagree. It's incredible. You know, researchers at uh, USC, they did an experiment where they hooked up um, some people to an fMRI machine, which basically scans brain activity. And they, they basically chose people who were really entrenched in positions, whether ideological positions or political positions, stuff like that. And they hooked them up to an fMRI machine. And then they had them sit there while they let people kind of challenge their beliefs and watch what happened in their brains as they were listening to people challenge their really deeply held held values. And this is what their conclusion was as they watched the brain scans. They said for people who are deeply motivated by these things, when they hear somebody disagreeing with them, their brain lit up like they were being chased by a bear. You wonder why people are so angry at each other always in our society? Nowadays, people feel like any potential even leaning, like trigger words, like, uh, I'm going to get myself in trouble. I'm not meaning to preach on this today, but like, if I bring up and start talking about justice, there's probably a whole segment of our society that's worried about what Pastor Ryan's been listening to. Hmm? We need to let the Bible be our definition for these things, because how do you guys know the Bible talks about justice absolutely everywhere? You shouldn't have to worry about, oh, Pastor Ryan been listening to some... Uh, some figure in society, this is where we go to get our definitions of things. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people where I dropped the wrong word or something like that. All of a sudden, they're worried like a bear is chasing them. I'm like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes for a second. We're on the same team here. His team. We're letting him be the one to define things for us. There is a fear in our culture about anybody who maybe even shows slight disagreement with us. It's incredible what's happening, you know, with these other people. It just keeps us so separated from one another. So I think Paul was on to something when he talks about us wanting to surround ourselves with a bunch of people who are going to just pour into our ears what we already want to hear. I think Paul is on to something here. And we see it in our fear-based society. But here's the thing I want to say to us today. The Bible tells me that perfect love casts out all fear. And since you and I have been perfectly loved by the perfect Savior, and nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus for us, we are invited to remain secure in his love. So what should we fear? What should we fear? And here's the thing, because this is alive and well. People absolutely want to surround themselves with a bunch of people saying, yep, I am with you 100%. We all believe the same thing. Those people are weird. We got the right answer over here. This popular way of finding our tribe based on what we desire and what we think and people who agree and think exactly like us, you know, that's like the opposite of what Jesus' idea of you finding a tribe is. That is the opposite of Jesus' idea for the church from day one. The church has been a place, a genuine community, where every single person who enters this community is constantly being challenged about something. Constantly. It doesn't matter if you're the pastor of the church or whatever, you're leader in the church. We are all constantly being challenged by the word of God and the ways of Jesus that he's called us to live. We're all reckoning with our own sinfulness and bringing it to Jesus saying, I need you every single day. This isn't a place to be coddled and shut the world out and vilify people, but to engage our neighbors, to serve the world with self-sacrificial love, to love and pray for even our enemies. That's what Jesus passed on to you and me. 
So if you find yourself sucked into this going way of our world to just surround yourself with a bunch of people who think and talk and reason exactly like you, it probably isn't the way of Jesus for you. Church is messy for a reason. There's a reason that the New Testament reads like a handbook on conflict management. It's messy. People are messy. Anybody want to raise your hand and say amen to that? People are messy. I like how Eugene Peterson sums up this section from Paul in the message, uh, his paraphrase of the New Testament. He says this. He says, you're going to find, Timothy, that there will be times when people have no stomach for solid teaching, but will fill up on spiritual junk food. Catchy opinions that just tickle their fancy. And that makes me think of my kids. <laughs> how many of you guys have, like, uh, preschoolers, toddlers, whatever? How many of you guys remember having preschoolers and toddlers? Um, I know that my kids are not the only kids who operate in this way, but they have an uncanny ability to just always want what's terrible for them, right? To eat. Like, they are just so drawn to junk food, and they seem absolutely allergic to anything that's good for them sometimes. Now, I have to be clear here. This is like a dad issue. Laura is a lot better with our kids and their diet than I am. But I don't know why. They seem to always be like, I don't see what I can get away with. I want cookies for every meal. Spiritual junk food is what Paul says. You know, sometimes with Ethan, we use this technique. We'll call it a technique. It's kind of like brainwashing, whatever. It's a technique for parenting. We call it the doctor says. So you have to eat this. Why? The doctor said. It's not me, Ethan. It's not me. I let you have the cookies, bro. You know, saw the doctor. Doctor's a little worried about you. <laughs> doctor says you have to do this. You know, I think we'd all love it if we went to the doctor and they're like, you can eat whatever you want. I can have tiramisu every night. That's fantastic. That's like my dream, right? And don't worry, you won't be incurring any health risks. You're not like, that's not like, you know, gaining weight or causing any problems with you. You can just do it. You do you. How many of you guys would love to see a doctor like that? How many of you guys know that we wouldn't last very long? <laughs> the prayer chain would be active, right? Praying for mercy. Um, <laughs> Paul's saying, this to Timothy. Saying, There's going to be a time, there is a time even now, when a, even if a doctor will show up in somebody's life and tell them, your habit is absolutely killing you. You're killing yourself. They won't listen. They'll stop up their ears. And this happens on a spiritual level all over the place. Sounds familiar to us, doesn't it? Like, we hear it all the time. Well, that's your truth. That's your opinion. Paul says in verse 4, they're going to turn their ears away from what's true and turn their ears towards myths, he says, myths. Literally, stories. You know, we live in a time that's often been referred to as story wars, right? He who tells the most compelling story wins. Doesn't matter if it's rooted in a bunch of garbage. You can get people on board with it. It's like you're writing the truth. That's what our world looks like today. If you've been around our church for any time, you know that one of my favorite verses is Colossians 2, verse 8, where Paul warns the whole church in Colossae, hey, see to it that no one takes you captive with hollow and deceptive philosophies and all this stuff. Once again, the message has a great take on this. I want to read it to you. Um, this is Paul again speaking. He says this, watch out for people who try to dazzle you with their big words and intellectual double talk. They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through empty traditions of human beings and empty superstitions of spirit beings. But that's not the way of Christ. Everything of God gets expressed in him. 
so that you can see and hear him clearly. I like this part. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, that fullness comes together for you too, and his power extends over everything. Mm. This reminds me, uh, two weeks ago when dad was talking to us, he, he honed in on that idea. We're, we're prone to get caught up in the story wars. We're prone to get caught up in useless arguments that never actually bring any fruit into anything. At the end of the day, every bit of that, like Paul says, it's hollow, it's deceptive. So let's not go chasing the myths of the world when we've been given the truth that the world is desperately longing for. Amen? Once again, Paul says to Timothy, but you. Over and over again in this little letter, he's been saying, this is the way things are going, but you, Timothy, are called to be different. But you, do something different. Live it a different way. Paul calls Timothy here, and he ultimately is speaking to every believer. He says, we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be different. So let's hear what he encourages Timothy with and take heart in it today. Because he gets specific with him. He starts here, he says, but you keep your head in all situations. Keep your head in all situations. Don't get carried away. This word for keep your head, nefei, it's translated, if you look at different Bible versions, it's translated like a million different ways. It says, you know, be clear-headed, be calm, cool, and steady, exercise self-control, use self-restraint, be vigilant, stay calm, be serious, keep your balance, keep watch. Stand steady, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's all kinds of different ways for translating this, but the, the literal word here means be sober, to be sober in all situations. It's like Paul's saying to Timothy, hey, whatever punch they're drinking, don't drink that, you'll end up on the floor. It's like when you go to a party and you're wondering what's in the punch, just stay away from it, right? We're called to not get sucked into this identity over here or this fruitless Debate, not to get lost in these things, but to keep our balance and walk in the way of Jesus. Paul goes on, endure hardship. Now, this is a constant theme in this letter, if you've been tracking with us throughout this series. It's a constant theme in the entire New Testament. If you want to walk in the way of Jesus, it's not always going to be easy. There's going to be hard times. Keep going. Keep enduring. Keep persevering. I could quote dozens of New Testament scriptures here from Paul or Peter, John, James, Jesus himself. They call us to endure when it's hard. I just want to say this to us today. When people that we love, that we're deeply invested in, go running away from the truth toward a bunch of high-sounding nonsense, as Paul puts it, that's hard for you and me. It's hard to watch friends run away from sound doctrine and towards all kind of weird teaching. It's hard when these things happen. It's hard to watch friends get caught up in crazy things and get super, super passionate like you're, you're missing the point. It's impossible. As a pastor, I deal with this. It's hard for all of us. Pretty much everybody has a friend or family member who's gotten swept up in something in the last eight, 10 years. You know, Pew Research did a study and they found that since 2016, at least a third of people have admitted to saying, I actually had to excommunicate a friend or family member because they got too crazy for me about X, Y, Z issue. It's hard. And Paul says, you need to endure the hardship. You need to endure. Christian life is a life of perseverance in challenging moments like ours. So we don't shrink back from the hard times. We're aware of them. 
and we endure them with his balance. As Paul says, we continue to engage what he's called us to. He says here to Timothy, he says, engage your ministry. I want to say it to you guys today, engage your ministry. Family is a ministry. Friendships are a ministry. You are called to minister to people. Now, Paul may be speaking specifically to Timothy's calling as a pastor here, but this call to engage your ministry is for every one of us, not just pastors and missionaries. If you belong to Jesus, God has called you not to be a bench warmer, but to serve the body and to bless the world. Every single one of us has a ministry that we are called a way that you are uniquely wired, created, gifted by God to minister to other people. None of us is the same. Our gifts are different, but every part in the body has a role to play. This verse, this calling is for every single one of us. We all represent Christ together like a city on a hill shining brightly for him. But isn't it interesting you know, when we tend to get caught up in all these other things, turn aside to these other stories, when we lose our balance or stray towards human power or ideologies, isn't it interesting that we always end up losing our focus on others when we go that way? We always end up losing sight of this call to minister to others and to put others first and to bear with one another in love, settling instead for excuses as to why that person's not worth my time anymore. When we get pulled towards these other things, we lose out on what we can be together, what we're called to be, what Jesus wants to knit us together as his body to be. Thank God that Jesus never lost sight of his mission, amen? Thank God that he didn't get pulled aside to the very real calls for him to embrace human power in his time. If we're rallying to anything, it needs to be to him, to his word, to this story that we live into, that we allow to shape our lives. And so Paul begins here with Timothy. In verse 2, he says to him, preach the word. Preach the word. You know, my university president used to culminate every commencement ceremony with this charge. He would say, okay, before you do your tassel thing or whatever, I want to say to you, preach the word. Preach the word. Live it out and preach it with your life. And since the word of God, as we heard last week at the end of chapter 3, is God-breathed, every part of scripture is God-breathed and effective in our lives, this is what we stand on. This is what we come back to. This is where we draw our wisdom and how to live this out together in the hard moments. It's where we find our balance, and this is what we preach. And remember this today. The word of God does the work. The word does the work. You know, so many times in our lives, they're like, who am I to come alongside a friend who's struggling and, you know, help them see how, where they went wrong, right? Who am I? Who am I to judge somebody? Who am I to correct or rebuke? The reality is this, as Paul's saying, we need to be people who know how to do this. We can correct patiently and faithfully, train and encourage one another, not because we're so awesome and have it all figured out or our opinions on everything are so perfect, we can do this because the word of God is perfect. I'm not bringing to bear my best ideas for your life or whatever. The word of God speaks to each and every one of us. The word does the work. Not you and me. The word does the work. It can correct us. It can mature us. It invites us to live a different way and a better way. And that's continually happening for all of us. 
We preach the word and we live by it. And as Paul said to Timothy, this happens in season and out of season. What's he talking about with that? In season and out of season, be ready to preach the word. Well, sometimes it's easier than others, isn't it? Sometimes you got a friendship and you're, you're trying to just invest in it, but it's hard. It can be hard. Sometimes we're in a spiritual battle and we have very real things opposing us spiritually. Sometimes we just lack the emotional energy. We're just spent. We're tired. We're over, overextended, whatever it may be. In season and out of season, Paul says, be ready. I want to just say to us today, rest assured that if you want to live according to the word of God and the ways of Jesus, you want to press into everything he's calling for us. You step further towards God's plans for you, you're stepping further away from the enemy's plan for you. You want to walk it out his way, you're departing more and more from a way that the enemy has desired for you. And that means you will face resistance. You will have hard times. You know, Paul, in his journeys, as he preached the word himself, he saw both wide open doors of ministry and also times when he just said, like, was pushing water uphill and couldn't make a dent in that place. No matter the season, he said, I want to represent Jesus the King well. I want to represent Jesus the King well. So whatever things man might throw at us, whatever spiritual battle we might be facing, whatever anyone else does, or which way the wind is blowing, let's hear Paul's call to be different. Let's heed it. Let's engage the ministry that Jesus gave to us, not to me or to you, but to us together. Let's all do our part. Let's engage the ministry with perseverance and balance. That sounds like a lot, right? If it sounds like a lot to you, I just want to, it is. The Christian life is one that requires perseverance because it's hard work sometimes. It's a lot. So I want to say this. How are we called to do this? How are we called to engage as a family, especially when it comes to like the messy stuff that comes with other human beings, right? How are we called to walk this out in relationships with one another? Well, Paul says this. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Correct rebuke. Encourage and this is the important part, with great patience and careful instruction. With great patience and careful instruction. I want to camp out here for just a few minutes today. How many of you guys know that we need patience and care with one another? We need patience and care with one another. I screw up so much, and I need people to have patience and care with me. Anybody else want to raise your hand to that one? We need to have patience and care for one another. Yes, in, in life together as his family, as the church, we're going to have times where I need correction, and there's other times where I need to bring correction. Hmm? We need to be able to correct, even to rebuke, and definitely we need to be able to encourage one another as Paul's calling Timothy to, but we need to do it with patience and careful instruction. We need to engage other human beings created in God's image as well in a way that takes time. It takes time and brings clarity. Now, that's not the way it's done in our world, right? Maybe it's because we're so time poor, we don't have time for anyone, right? Sometimes even in church settings, we can see this where there's correction, but it's like fly-by-night correction, right? Just drop by. 
I want to show you a picture in a second. If you, you know, we had a recent boom of forest fires that was making all, all choke on the Canada air. Anybody love that this summer? Right? Like, I've been thinking about these forest fires. And, and have you ever seen one of the planes that does the work of putting out forest fires? Do you know what it's called? It's called water bombing. Water bombing. Check this out. You seen one of these before? I want you to get that image in your mind for a second. Because I feel like sometimes when it comes to our interpersonal relationships, even within the body of Christ, this makes sense is what, we're, what we see all too often. I feel like sometimes this is what we see. There's a problem happening, so we just want to swoop in from a detached place, drop a bunch of water on, and be like, all right, you got it? Cool, I'm out of here. Right? Like we're just the water bombing plane. There's going to be problems within the community of the kingdom of God here. And Paul says, Timothy, you need to be patient with people. You can't waterbomb people. You need to take time with people. I mean, our culture has often been referred to now as call-out culture, right? Like, this is how it's done in our world. It's just, hey, something's going wrong. We just want to call out their behavior. We want to come along and call out sin issues in another's life. We want to do this from a distance, not in a way that's personally invested or involved. We're just going to stop by and drop knowledge on them. But over and over again, the word of God calls us to do this differently, doesn't it? In relationship with one another, truly loving one another. We're called by the word of God to bear with one another, to meet people where they are and walk together towards his freedom. Because I need it, and I'm going to screw up a lot. There are going to be things that you and I need to hear. Oftentimes, they're not what our itching ears want to hear. But there's going to be things that we need to hear that bring correction in our hearts. If somebody comes along when I need to hear something like that, just drops a thousand gallons of water on my head, be honest, I'm like more likely to run away from God in that moment than to him, right? It doesn't feel good. Not that it's about how I feel, but they need to do it in a way that's winsome. In reality, a lot of the issues that we struggle with perpetually, they're deeper rooted than we know in our hearts. And they take time to prayerfully walk through and allow God to work on us. So I'm going to say this to us. We need people in our lives who will walk with us with patience, who are committed to us for the long haul. And we also need to be people like this for each other. We need to be people who are willing to not just give shallow answers to deep, complex issues that we face that are personal issues that have deep hurt, struggles that we're going through. We can't just water bomb each other. But to get to the bottom of things, we need to let Jesus teach us how to find real freedom. We need people who are going to help us and carry us to Jesus when we can't get ourselves there. Floyd McClung says this. says, the Bible makes it clear that we are not to engage in correcting another person's problems unless we are personally and redemptively involved with that person. Tough love is not another name for ripping to shreds anyone with whom we disagree. This isn't the way it's done in our world. In our world, it's perfectly acceptable. In fact, you're cheered on if you just rip someone to shreds. In fact, that's like a, you get a badge of honor for that in your tribe now if you rip the other side to shreds, don't you? Like, man, you put them in their place, boom. That's not how it's done in the kingdom, people. That's not how God wants it done. We need to be personally and redemptively involved in each other. 
That's where true life change and true freedom can be unleashed in our lives. We're called to take time with one another. We're called to be personally invested. There's a reason that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. It's because it doesn't come natural to us as human beings. It's not our first inclination. But when we're talking about life together with other human beings, it will always require patience. We need to bring patience, and we also need to bring careful instruction. What's Paul talking about here? You know, when we do this in the way of Jesus, when we let the Word do the work, it brings clarity. God is not a God of confusion, the Word says. It brings clarity. We need sound doctrine. We need careful teaching that brings revelation. You know, that, you know what that means? That means you and me need to be saturated in the Word of God. We need to get to that place where we can't just, you know, Google what does the Bible say about this, but we know it because we've got it in us. Amen. We need to know what this word says about those things going on in our world and allow it to set the bar for us in where we stand on things and how we stand on things. Both. You know, Paul keeps inviting Timothy to live this out, to live a different way. Yeah, even though it's going to be hard, Timothy, keep going, persevere, preach the word, let the word do the work and do it with balance and patience and grace for people. He says, he keeps coming back and even we're going to touch on this next week. He says, do this this way. I've shown you how. I've modeled this for you. And no, it hasn't been easy for me. But Paul always makes it clear. I can only walk this way because I learned it from Jesus. I learned it from Jesus. So I want to say this today. If nothing else, let's keep fixing our eyes on him. Because when it comes to engaging one another, even in the hard times, so Jesus was a master at this, and he showed us everything we need to know, right? He is the perfect example of patience with people and clarity on things. Crystal clear. He's the one who could bring incredible compassion and at the same time hold very real conviction. And he did it in a way which was so incredibly winsome. He surely rebuked and corrected people along the way, but he kept winning over their hearts in the midst of it. Have you ever like just stopped to just gaze at Jesus and wonder and be like, it's incredible. How he's able to do that over and over and over again and with me is incredible. The way of Jesus, it's a winsome way and we need to recover a winsome way of being with one another. In our season more than ever, Jesus calls us to be winsome people. I'm often just blown away as I look at, you know, the longest conversation we have in scripture that we see Jesus engaging with another person. Um, it's with the wrong person at the wrong place at the wrong time, right? It's the Samaritan woman at the well. He's not supposed to be talking to her. She's not supposed to be there. She's hiding from her village in shame. And here's the craziest thing about this whole conversation, which I just can't get over. Jesus is talking with her and he speaks directly to her sin and shame. He doesn't beat around the bush. He, he's just like, hey, I know what's going on in your life. I know what's happening there. And somehow by the end of the conversation, she goes running for joy back to her village that she's hiding from and proclaiming to them, come and meet a man who told me everything I have ever done. I, I just kind of imagine those people knowing her and being like, wait, 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 pump the brakes. We know everything you've ever done. That's why you're hiding from us. Why would you want us to meet that guy? Right? Have you ever thought about that? It doesn't make sense other than the fact that Jesus is able to do this in such a way that it completely set her free. Totally set her free. 
She was no longer worried. That life is gone. I have met the Savior. I want to learn how to engage people like that, amen? It's not natural. That's a fruit of the Spirit for sure. The way of Jesus is a winsome way. He is able to meet not just her, not just so many we read about in the New Testament, but you and me. He's able to meet us where we are. And every time, he's not soft on our sin. We got issues in our life that don't line up with his standards. He's not soft on those things. But he's able to deliver us from those things. He's able to show us how our attempts to do it all on our own and self-create have failed. And lovingly, he brings us back to reality. Lovingly, he wins over our hearts and impresses on our hearts a vision for how things can be with him that is so much better. The way of Jesus involves correction and discipline, and it also requires of us a load of patience and care and the ability to to get down in the muck with one another and lift each other up. I'll say this to us today. You know, God may call you. You might have a friend in your life, and God may say, hey, you need to talk to them about that thing that's going on in their life. God may use you to bring correction sometimes or to bring encouragement, but here's the thing. You can't bring correction or encouragement unless you're willing to be with people, truly with people. Which is why I love the name that we get for Jesus in the book of Matthew, Emmanuel, God with us. Though he's perfect, and we are definitely not, he still came to be with us, to meet us where we are so that he could walk us towards his freedom. That's the way that Paul's saying, hey, this is what we learn from Jesus. This is, what we, this is why we endure the hard times. This is what I'm calling you to do, Timothy. Stand on the word, live it out, and preach it. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I want to say to us today, we need to recover this ability. And to do so, we need to lean on the Holy Spirit. Amen? Because this isn't in us naturally. But I want to encourage us because this isn't the way we see of our world. Our world is going more and more towards teachers who will tell us what our itching ears want to hear. Towards water bombing each other with, you know, our opinions rather than being with each other and standing on his opinion. So I want to say this. Let's be willing today. Let's be willing to truly engage one another. Let's endure the hardship that that brings. Let's be with one another in the moments that are difficult. Let's even be willing to engage those we disagree with. Let's be willing to meet people where they are, listen to one another, and not be afraid that a bear is chasing us when that happens. Hmm? Like Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I thought I had it all figured out, but I realize now all I want is Jesus. All I want is Jesus, and I will become all things to all people that I may win some. We need to become a winsome people again. Amen? So no matter which way the wind is blowing in our world, or what crazy ideas people are following, let's hold fast to Jesus. He's the rock. He's the one who will never let us down. He's our cornerstone. Let's hold to God with us who rescued us. And he's still on the throne. And that's where Paul kind of started this whole thing. He said, look, he's faithful. He's on the throne. He's going to judge. He's going to reveal everything. We can lean on him. We can do it his way because he's faithful and because his word is so effective. So let's not fall into the patterns of our world, but let's engage the people that God has put in our lives with patience and with clarity.
Amen? Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to worship here in just a moment. And as always, I want to encourage you, spend some time in prayer. Spend some time letting the Lord continue to work these things on your heart. And it's a great opportunity as we worship. If you've got something and the Lord's been laying it on your heart, pray with someone. You know, we've got some people here at the sides who would always love to pray with you. We need to get in that habit. Remember, we're not here to judge you and beat you down. We want to we encourage you towards the freedom that God wants to bring in your life. But pray with somebody if something's heavy on your heart. You know, as we look at things like this, reality is there's a lot of things heavy on our hearts. There's a lot of interpersonal personal struggles that we're facing today. Our world's full of them. Our families are full of them. It's hard. So maybe you're here, and you've kind of grown weary of this cultural moment, the culture wars, increasing hostility, whatever. I just want to say, me too. Me too. But we don't shrink back from what God's called us to do, being a light in our world. No matter how dark it gets, this is where we lean on his spirit and say, I need you to bring your fruit out of my heart. It's not in me. I need you, Jesus. So I want to call you today and encourage you, commit your heart to this again. Commit your heart to what we are together called to do. Commit to engage where he has planted you. Engaging the people he's planting you with. Don't settle for shallow relationships. As, As Lisa was encouraging us this morning, let's be willing to go deep with one another. With patience and clarity. Let's pray together and we're going to worship. Jesus, thank you that you modeled this for us. Lord, more and more, we just want to fix our eyes on you. It's easy for us to be discouraged by our world. It's easy for us to get overwhelmed. But Lord, we just, we want to lean on you more. We want to do this your way. We want to embrace how you showed us to do it. And trust that you'll give us the strength when we need it to persevere, to endure the hard times. Trust that your word is all that we need in every situation. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us to engage your word first and foremost daily. Help us to get it in us so deeply that, Holy Spirit, you can bring things back out of us in the right moment like you promised you would. Father, give us more of your heart for people. Draw us once again to others, Lord, because your heart beats for people and you've placed us right where you have us for this time. I pray, Lord, that you give us open eyes to see the hurting people around us, to engage them with your truth and clarity and also patience and encouragement, lifting them up and sharing the incredible wonder of your grace with them. Lord, give us open doors today divine appointments today. Maybe even as we leave this place, Lord, help us to have moments where we can be real with somebody who needs to hear it so desperately about the hope we have found in you. And Lord, make us ready in season and out of season. Make us ready to engage one another in this house and engage our world with your love. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.